Hello, everybody. My name is Kerry Parker, and welcome to the very, very first episode of the podcast, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. And like any good podcast, I'm going to start off with a quiz. Okay, no other podcast starts with a quiz, but I'm going to start with a quiz. This is important. Pay attention. I want you to think right now, how secure are you right now with your computers, your mobile devices? How secure are you? Let's 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 take a scale. Let's do a 1 to 10 scale. Let's say at one end of the spectrum, we have Fort Knox. That's a 10. Impenetrable. Cannot be hacked. Perfectly secure. Total privacy. That's a 10. Other end of the spectrum, wet paper bag. You have no idea. You're probably wide open. You're downloading all sorts of horrible stuff. <laughs> it's probably got viruses. You, you figure you're probably screwed. Where are you on that scale? 10 to, 10 to 1. Fort Knox, wet paper bag. Where do you think you are? Seriously, think about that right now. Try to come up with a number that makes sense. I'll give you a second. Go ahead. Now, if you're like an average, everyday person, I'm going to bet that you really have no way of coming up with a meaningful number. You, you just don't know. And that's the whole point of this podcast. I am here because I'm going to help you to get more secure. Now, do you need to be as secure as Fort Knox? No, 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 no. That is not the point of this podcast. That's not where you need to be. It's all about trade-offs. Security is all about trade-offs. You need to be secure enough. So it's up to you to figure out what enough means to you. Everyone's a little bit different, but on the average, we don't need to be a 10. Maybe we need to be a 5 or a 6, but I'm telling you, most people are nowhere near that. So I am here to help you, the average everyday person who has a mobile phone, a tablet, a computer, who's on the internet all the time, how to get yourself from a wet paper bag somewhere up in the middle to a residential home with some decent security. <laughs> all right, is it a deal? That's what we're going to be doing here. tell you a little bit how this is going to work. So first of all, I'm not going to do a whole lot of jargony stuff. I know that's not what you want to hear. I also know that it's boring. I'm going to try to stay away from really technical details that you frankly don't need to know about. So what I do want to focus on is helping you understand the basics, the very fundamentals of how these things work. And the way I normally work is through analogies and, and, and things of ways to relate these things to you that you can understand. Even if you're not a technical person, you don't have to be an engineer like me. So we're going to go through these things, and I'm here to tell you there's a lot of things we can all be doing, and I, I, I have the distinct impression that most people just give up. They feel that there's just nothing they can do, and I'm here to tell you there's many, many things you can do that would greatly improve your security. And here's the other thing. By you doing these things, it doesn't only help you. It helps everybody that you know personally. Why? Because if you get a virus— the next person most likely to get a virus is somebody that you know because you'll accidentally send them a file that's infected or you'll actually get them a thumb drive that has a virus on it or something like that. Or And so protecting yourself helps to protect all those around you, even if they don't do the things that I'm going to tell you to do. So as I said, security is all about trade-offs. You don't need to be the most hacker-proof person that you know. As this old saying goes, you don't have to be the fastest antelope. You just don't want to be the slowest antelope. So we're going to teach you all these things that you need to do. 
So since this is the first time you're listening, you're probably wondering, is this podcast for me? Is this going to be too technical? Is it going to be too boring and dry? Is, am I going to get anything out of this podcast? Who is this for? Well, honestly, it's really for anybody these days that uses the internet. Really anybody. Um, even some of my friends who are extremely technical have learned some things from my book and some of the things that I'm probably going to be telling you over the course of the coming weeks and months and if all goes well, years. Um, the point is, everything is connected these days. We have smartphones in our pockets that are more powerful than the computers that we had 30 years ago. We've got tablets, we've got laptops, we've got desktop computers. And on top of that, we've got what's called the Internet of Things. And that is something that we're going to be talking quite a bit about in the coming weeks. And the Internet of Things is when you take something that used to be normal that just sat there and connect it to the Internet. So... There are refrigerators that are now connected to the internet. There, of course, are things like your 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 DVRs, your home routers. Um, believe it or not, there are even toasters that are connected to the internet. We've got thermostats, smoke alarms, toys, you name it. That's the hot new thing now is to get something that used to be just normal and sit there and be passive and somehow connect that thing to the internet. Now, I'm a tech buff. Actually, I think most of these things are some really cool ideas. It's great that you can set your temperature for your house before you get home, uh, that you can look in on the Wi-Fi cam and see how the dogs are doing at home. We do that all the time, actually, when we're on vacation. So what I'm saying here is I'm not going to tell you to get off the grid. I'm not going to tell you to take all these products and throw them away and turn them all off and disable all the cool features. I'm going to tell you to do that for some of them, because in some cases, they're really insecure. And if we're lucky, we'll get those things fixed and we can turn them back on. No, these things are fantastic. I love these new gadgets that are coming out. I'm a technologist. I'm a geek. I love this kind of cool new technology. But we've got to be careful and we've got to understand what the risks are. And we've got to pay attention to who is doing it right and who is doing it wrong. So part of what we're going to be doing is talking about products that you might buy, products you might avoid, how to make sure that the products you do buy are as secure as possible. Got all sorts of tips on that. So that's another type of area that we'll be discussing. Uh, there's also plenty of things in the news, like for instance, cloud bleed. This is something that came out and you probably saw this in the news in the last couple of weeks. What is cloud bleed? We will get into that at some point, <laughs> but these things hit the news and I think everyone is just, it's the boy who cried wolf. The, the sad fact is most of these things actually are problems. So it's not that they're not problems, but we hear about them so many times. We get all these strange terms and the default is always go change all your passwords. <laughs> so I'm going to try to help you understand kind of what these things are so that you know when you really have to do these things. Try to give you a better idea of maybe who's telling you the right things and who's being completely overhyped on some of these things. So I'm going to educate you so that you can make informed choices and feel safer knowing that you're doing the things you need to be doing. Nothing is ever 100% secure. I don't care who you are. The NSA was hacked, for goodness sake. So nobody is 100% secure. But there are so many things that we could be doing just to raise our level of security and privacy, and I'm going to help you get, to, get through those things. Over the course of many, many weeks, there's so many things we could be doing. I liken this to, I like to make a lot of analogies. So as I'm going through this, and you'll hear some in the podcast today when I talk a little bit about my book and why it's called Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, there is a meaning to that. And 
I like to use analogies because these are things that can help you relate technical subjects to things you already understand. So what do I mean by this? Let me give you an example. As you're growing up, you learn certain things, behaviors, things that you should do and not do to be safe. For instance, don't run with scissors, uh, put on sunscreen, brush your teeth, wear a seatbelt. A lot of these things you can intrinsically understand because if you're in a car, it makes sense to you that if you suddenly stop, that that seatbelt's going to keep you from going through the windshield. Brushing your teeth, that eh, might be kind of a pain in the butt. You got to do it every day, but the dentist has told you it's important. And you've learned over the years that by doing this, you prevent cavities. These are the kind of things that I'm talking about. That's an example of the kind of things that we're going to be learning on this podcast. They're simple things. In many cases, they're free things. Uh, they may be things you've heard of. They may be things you've never heard of. But I'm going to help you understand why they're important and encourage you to do these things. And if we all did these things, we'd all be so much safer. So with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about a deeper issue. I'm going to try to avoid politics. Uh, I am a political person, uh, but politics kind of gets in the way of these discussions. Somehow I feel that when you kind of get political on these things, you immediately turn off half your audience. These things are way too important for that. So while I'm going to try to keep things fun, I'm going to try to keep things entertaining. The nature of the news and the way things go today, there will be things I'm going to be pulling from the headlines, things that uh, for instance, in America that our administration is going to be doing that will have impacts on your privacy and your security. I'm not going to couch these things in political aspects as, if I can help it. Um, but we all need to be aware of these things. And our functioning democracy depends on a certain level of privacy and a, and a certain level of security. So they're extremely important. And as a concerned citizen and kind of a political junkie, I will talk about some of those things. But I will do it from a fact-based perspective and in a way that should not alienate anybody. Let's hope, all right? Okay, now, I want to talk a little bit about privacy now. Security is obvious. Nobody wants to be hacked. Nobody wants to have their identity taken and their money stolen or someone hacking their email account and sending a bunch of genital enlargement stuff to all their friends, right? Nobody wants that. That's an obvious thing. Security, most people get. At least they understand why they would want that. But let's talk about privacy because... Privacy, for some reason, is something that we seem to be giving away constantly in this country and around the world, to be honest. We're trading our privacy for these, quote-unquote, free services and free products, Gmail or Hotmail or a lot of the web browsing and things we do. We are allowing ourselves to be tracked. We are allowing these dossiers of information to be collected about us and traded behind our backs without our knowledge with all these advertisers and, and whoever else they're, they're willing to sell these things to. Most people just say, eh, I got nothing to hide, right? But I'm here to tell you that privacy is important. It's important not just on a personal level, it's important on a democracy level. So let me just get on my soapbox here for a little bit on this opening episode. Try not to, again, don't want to get too heavy on you. But I want you to understand where I'm coming from, and I want you to follow me on this. Follow the bouncing ball. Help me lead you to the fact that these are important things that we all need to care about. So at a very basic level, your privacy is important because um, if somebody can get into your email account and read some things about you, they can use that information about you 
to commit identity theft. If they can convince somebody else that they are you, either by responding to an email on an account that supposedly only you have access to, uh, perhaps getting into your social media accounts and finding all sorts of information about you. For instance, what, what is one of the most classic security questions? You know, what's your mother's maiden name? Do you think you could find that on somebody's Facebook page? Probably. Think of all the security questions that you have probably answered for the criminals on your just on your Facebook profile. So privacy does matter. You don't want to give away the farm, and you certainly don't want to make it available to everybody. So on, on that level, and we will discuss that at some point, that is important. But it's also essential for a functioning democracy. And if you haven't seen this yet, I highly recommend that you go and Google and look at the uh, the TED Talk by Glenn Greenwald called Why Privacy Matters. And uh, I'll summarize a little bit for you here, and maybe that'll tease you enough to go check it out yourself. It's very worthwhile. He does a very good job explaining it. I would highly recommend you listen to the original. But let me tell you a little bit of where he's coming from. So we as humans, as a species, act differently when we're being watched we tend to conform more when we're being watched. We tend to follow the rules more if we know that somebody is watching us. Uh, One of the examples that um, Glenn brings up in his talk is this notion of what's called a panopticon. And this is something that I also talk about in my book. The panopticon is this concept uh, of an institutional um, psychologist years ago, uh, 1800s, I believe, who figured out that if he could create like sort of a round sort of institution where the guards are in the middle and all the inmates or whatever uh, are on the outside. And as far as the inmates knew, they could be watched at any moment. The guards are, let, let's say they're behind a two-way mirror. I'm not sure exactly how they proposed to do this back in the 1800s, but let's say they're behind a two-way mirror. So you know the guards are in there somewhere and you have to assume that at any moment you could be watched. You don't know for sure. And that's the whole point. It's very efficient from the guard's point of view. They're up there looking down on you. They can't look at everybody at once, but you don't know when they are and when they are not looking. He found that people towed the line in those situations because they always felt like they were being watched, even if they weren't. We as humans act differently when we're being watched all the time. If we assume that at any moment somebody could be reading our communications, listening to our phone calls, watching what we do. And what's important to understand is that democracy needs rule breakers from time to time. In fact, it needs lawbreakers from time to time. Our democracy in America would not exist had somebody not broken some English laws, right? So we push boundaries that way. We learn new things. And as humans, we need a safe place in our homes, um, in, in the bathroom, wherever we are that we can call private, where we can dance and sing out loud. And, you know, yeah, sure. Maybe do some things that might not be legal. I'm, I'm not saying all illegal things, of course, are good. I'm just saying that for a species and a democracy to go, we need to be able to push boundaries sometimes. And we also just need to know that we can have a private space. So when we're talking about things like mass surveillance, uh, I think a lot of people just say, yeah, you know, I've got nothing to hide. And I I think Edward Snowden was the one who said, you know, saying that you don't care about privacy because you have nothing to hide is the same thing as saying, I don't care about the First Amendment because I've got nothing to say. Think about that for a minute. The point is not that you in particular have something that you need to hide. The point is 
it's your right to be able to hide something. You have the right to privacy. I think as a human being, we need these things. So anyway, don't want to get too deep on that, but watch this TED Talk. It's really just amazing, and it really does a much better job even than I of explaining why this is so important and how it affects us as a species and as a democracy. Go check that out. You're listening to the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. It's where we say, let the silent voices be heard. We invite you back to AmericaOutloud.com to get all the latest, make it a daily stop, and also get the app. You go right to the App Store and download our free app, and that will put all our content right into your hands on your phones and your tablets. It doesn't get any easier than that. So let's talk a little bit about what I want to do with this podcast. And first of all, I want you to know that I am open to ideas. This will certainly, I'm sure, morph over time. I want your feedback. I want you to participate in this. So I want you to email me your ideas. I want you to email me your questions. Uh, You can reach me at Parker at AmericaOutloud.com. That's C-A-R-E-Y-P-A-R-K-E-R at AmericaOutloud.com. My goal for this entire program is is to educate you and help you understand how to get secure. So we need to be partners in this. I need your feedback. So please send me your emails. I will do my best to at least address them on the show if I don't reply to each one of them individually. And I want to hear what your problems are. I want to hear what you want to know about. I want feedback on the show. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. We are partners in this. So again, email me, Parker at americaoutloud.com. Going forward, My plan for the show is to have a guest every week. I will find somebody that is interesting and has something to share that I think everybody needs to hear. We will talk uh, for a good portion of the show. I will also make sure that I try to keep you up to date on the things that really matter, the news stories reported in a way that hopefully make more sense than the way they do in most uh, mainstream media, which is, quite frankly, usually awful. Um, They invariably hype the wrong things and tell you, oh, just go change your passwords. There's so much more to it than that. One of my main commitments to you is going to be to help you to sort out the wheat from the chaff. Try to sort through all the hyperbolic, ridiculous hype that comes along with most of these stories and help you figure out how these things really affect you and what you actually need to do about them. And that is actually a perfect segue for us to talk about cloud bleed. Now, that sounds really scary. You may have seen this in the news in the last week or two. Um, Actually, I hope you did. But my guess is that you didn't hear it the way it really should have been told. Cloudbleed. Okay, so let's get this out of the way. The security researchers that find this stuff love to come up with really cool-sounding names for these vulnerabilities, these bugs, these viruses, these (laughs) these things that are bad. You know, the cooler sounding the name, I guess, the more attention it gets. Now... In one sense, that's that's actually a good thing, right? We we I want, I want, we want, and security folks, people to hear these things and be aware of them and take note, because in many cases they are important. So in that sense, it's a marketing thing that reaches people. That's great. The problem is, you know, they come up with these kind of weird names like cloud bleed, or you may have heard of heart bleed, which is kind of cloud bleed got its name from heart bleed. Um, and they, you know, they sound scary, but they also sound completely vague. Like, what does that mean? Cloud bleed? Well, I'm here to tell you. So let's take this as a perfect case study in how these things work. Uh, 
So some security research folks um, found a bug in some software by a company called Cloudflare. Um, Cloudflare, great, you know, great company. They, they provide a lot of infrastructure for many different companies on the internet. In fact, they do a, a, um, a great job uh, at helping these websites stay up and stay active when they're under attack. That's kind of their thing. So unfortunately, um, they, they, okay, so the, the Cloudflare folks have systems, servers, computers that sit between you and the servers that you're trying to get to. And a server is just a fancy name for a big computer. So these services, uh, Amazon, uh, Google, whatever, have these massive computers. Uh, and it's called a server because you ask it to do something for you. you. You go to the website and you say, give me some information. You're the client. It's the server. So we call it a server. Um, some of the services affected, and there were like 3,400 different services um, affected by this particular bug, uh, include uh, Fitbit. Uh, Uber, OkCupid, um, things like that. You may have actually, if you use these services, they may have emailed you and said, you know, maybe you might want to change your password. Um, but the problem is the way this was reported. So what tends to happen with some of these things is someone comes up with a really cool name. They say they say this is a bad bug. And then everybody lights their hair on fire in the media and says, oh, my God, oh, my God, the, how, you know, the sky's falling. You know, go change every password you own. That happened with Cloudbleed, and you may or may not have seen this, um, but it was all over the news, certainly in the news I read, and that was the early consensus. And what unfortunately tends to happen is in the first couple days, these sensationalistic stories get picked up by uh, news outlets that need to get ad revenue. So they've got to come up with something that's going to get you clicking that link and coming to their website to read this article. And unfortunately, what that tends to mean is they tend to overhype these things, and they don't research them enough to really understand what the true impacts were. And this is a great example of this because at the end of the day, Cloudbleed, while a real bug that caused potentially real harm, at the end of the day, the chances of it affecting any individual person is extremely small. Um, in a nutshell, they had a bug in their computer code that said that when I go to these servers and ask for uh, a response to show me a web page or whatever the case may be, if that, if that web page had a problem, it wasn't formatted properly, in some cases would give you back a bunch of extra information that you didn't ask for. And that extra information was just random information that happened to be on that server. And that random information, uh, you know, let's say that you went through someone's garbage and reached in blindly and pulled out a handful of stuff and looked at it. What are the chances that you're going to pull out something with somebody's credit card number on it? Or you know, some damning bit of information about that person or what the case may be. More than likely, you're, you're going to come up with nothing. That's kind of what was happening with these servers is in certain circumstances, un, if you did things just the kind of the right way and the moon was aligned and, and whatever, maybe you would get back some useful information that you might be able to use to hack somebody or get into somebody's account. You, you never knew what you were going to get. You didn't know which of these services were going to do it. So in practical terms, there's really nothing a hacker would have done about this. We don't even know that any hackers knew about this. It was just a bug that got, and Google uh, found this bug, and to their credit, they went straight to Cloudflare and, and said, hey, we found this bug. we got to fix this. Uh, they did. They cleaned up as much of this stuff as they could, uh, and then they told people that, hey, this bad thing happened. You might want to think about changing your passwords. So this is a perfect example. Unfortunately, the way a lot of these security and privacy news stories hit the media is 
the first day or two, it's it's all chaos and panic and the world, the sky's falling and, you know, God help you. In reality, most of these things are really, well, I don't want to make a broad statement. A lot of times these things are not anywhere near as bad as they say they are. And so my advice to you in general, and we will talk about this certainly as the as these podcasts go on, is give it a day or two. Most of these things are not, most of them, not all, most of them are, are the kind of things where you need to kind of let things settle down, let the security guys really go through it and figure out what the true impacts are, and then come back and tell you. I will do my best on a weekly basis to, t- to tell you these things. Um, and just so you know, this is in ex- inexact science, and sometimes we just don't know. So even if I come out one week and say, okay, this happened, it's pretty bad, I recommend you go do this or that. Next week, I may come back and say, you know what, after another week of looking at this thing, we've kind of determined that it wasn't as bad as we thought, or maybe it was worse than we thought. So these things do happen. So anyway, cloud bleed. That was an example for me to you of something that is that is a common occurrence, unfortunately, today with all these hackings and breaches and things that are going on. Sometimes these one with really good names or for whatever reason sound really bad to begin with get completely overhyped. And the, the common solution is go change all your passwords. You should always have good passwords. You should have unique passwords for every site. Uh, you should use two-factor authentication wherever you can. That's the general that's my general advice, and we're gonna I'm gonna beat that horse to death as we go through these podcasts. But as you hear these stories come up, take some of them with a grain of salt, um, and you you can feel safe in most cases to wait a couple of days just to kind of see if things settle down. And again, I will do my best to relay to you what you need to worry about and what you don't. That's why you're coming back to this podcast. So, what are the real risks? What do you have to worry about out there? You've heard about viruses and malware and tracking and phishing and all these kind of strange terms. What are the real risks? There are actually quite a few. Um, Let's talk about just a handful of them today. Back in the day, most people thought about computer security risks as being computer viruses. Um, And that is still a problem today. Uh, In fact, the... The problem that we're actually seeing today that it's the most worrisome is something called ransomware. Um, And what this is, is a virus uh, that gets on your computer. And instead of just kind of, you know, messing up your hard drive or doing something just kind of nasty just because, they encrypt all the files on your hard drive and basically hold it for ransom. So let's talk about what that means. So when you encrypt something, you basically take something intelligible in in a controlled way, kind of scramble it all up to make it completely unintelligible. If you do this right, there is no way to fix it. There is no way to get that information back without having the key. Uh, You encrypt things with the key. So I take something that's legible, run it through an encryption algorithm with the key, and what comes out is illegible. You cannot make sense of it. There's nothing you can glean from that information your information is effectively locked down until somebody gives you the key to unlock it. So what this ransomware does, it somehow gets on your computer. You've probably clicked on a bad link that downloaded some software. You maybe opened up a file that had a virus in it. Um, what You got infected somehow on your computer, and this software in the background systematically goes and encrypts every single file on your computer, all your photos, all your documents, um, 
all your music, your home movies, everything that you hold dear, all the digital things that you have on that computer are now completely inaccessible. The rub is that all of those things are actually still in your possession. So it's kind of like somebody broke into your house, took all your valuables, and put them in a safe and left that safe sitting in your living room. There's a combination to that safe. You still have all of your things. They're just inside that safe where you can't get them. That's exactly what's going on with ransomware. You actually still have your files. Those files are recoverable. They're just encrypted, which means they're essentially completely outside of your grasp. So you need to get those files back. And the ransomware folks are more than happy to give you that key if you pay them money. So that's the thing. They basically hold your files for ransom. So again, it's like a crook came in, put all your valuables in a safe in your living room, and then left with a note saying, hey, I'll give you the combination to the safe, but you got to send me, you know, a thousand bucks, 10,000 bucks, whatever the case may be. You still have your things. You just can't get at them. So ransomware is really getting popular because encrypt encryption and uh, when done correctly is irreversible without the key. If somebody locks these things up, you cannot get them back without the key, which they're holding for ransom. And in most cases, odd as it may seem, they have a reputation to keep up. If they don't give you the key and allow you to get your stuff back when you pay, that's going to get out and people are going to learn that, hey, I may as well not pay. I'm just, I'm, I'm, these files are gone. I just write it off. So <laughs> there has to be some honor among thieves in this case, because <laughs> they need to have a little bit of integrity or they're not going get, to keep getting paid. So they, generally speaking, if as long as they haven't screwed up somehow, and there have been some that have screwed up, they will give you the key when you pay them the money and then you get your files back. Now, more than likely, you still have a virus on your computer somewhere and you know who knows that they may not do this again and hold the ransom again, but that's ransomware. And that's a type of virus that is common today that is really nasty. Um, viruses of old uh, are still around, actually. If you remember the I Love You virus and some of the other weird ones that went around with strange names, they all have strange names. Uh, those things are actually still out there and, and there are automated systems, hacker systems, that are constantly looking around the internet because everything is connected now, uh, 24 seven, you know, back in the day when you had your computer uh, and you had AOL and you had dial up service, you were only on the internet as long as you needed to be on the internet. And then you got back off today. Everything's connected 24 seven. So it's, it's, it's simple actually for a lot of these guys, these hackers, these bad guys to just constantly scan the internet. They, they write programs that do it for them. It's not like they're even have, they don't even have to do anything themselves. They've got programs that are constantly scanning the internet, looking for vulnerable systems and, and trying to spread this malware. And if they happen to get it on one of your systems, they encrypt all your files and they hold them for ransom. That's ransomware. So today that is one of the most pernicious, nasty things that we have to deal with. Uh, kind of a classic one that is, uh, still running rampant, uh, is credit card fraud. This is something that we definitely need to worry about. Um, but not as much as you might think. So I know that people worry about that and, you know, they're taking my money. I, I don't want them, someone to get my credit card number and start charging a bunch of stuff, uh, in my name, but credit card fraud actually is, is not as scary as some of these other things that we're talking about. Why? Because you're really usually not liable for what's charged to your card. 
the credit card companies actually are getting very good. In fact, sometimes they're getting a little overzealous in catching fraud or things that look to them like fraud. Um, purchases that don't look like something that you would normally make. You're, spend, you're spending more than you normally would, or you're spending it from a place that you normally don't go. Um, I've actually had a lot of trouble lately with some of my credit cards, and you may have seen this too, where the credit card company is sending me texts all the time saying, hey, was this really you? Did you, did you just charge this amount on your card at this location? Uh, and I've actually had my card be canceled because I didn't reply soon enough. They didn't want to take a chance that someone had stolen my card. And so since I didn't get back to them quick enough, say, oh, yeah, yeah, this is fine. That was me. Don't worry about it. We're good. Because I didn't get back to them quick enough to be safe. And, and, and to be honest, because it's really on them, they're going to end up having to pay for this, not you. They cut off the card. And that's the key here for you to understand is that in almost all of these cases, you're not liable for this. So the worst thing that could happen to you is if someone actually does get your credit card, you've got to get another credit card. Yeah, that's a pain. You got to wait for them to ship it to you. You've got to change your number on any place you've ever put it. You know, if you've got that saved on Amazon or saved to pay your utility bills or whatever the case may be, you've got to call all these people back and say, okay, that number is no longer valid. Here's my new number. That's a pain, but you're really not out any money. So credit card fraud, it, while it's something that we've kind of all thought is so horrible, it's really for you not that big of a deal. It's much more of a big deal for the credit card company because they're the ones in the end, they're going to have to pay for all these things. So that's why they're getting so, you know, uptight about fraud and, um, and really cracking down on this stuff. So it's gotten to the point, at least personally, and, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but personally, like if I go travel, certainly out of the country, um, or if I'm going to go spend a, a week on vacation someplace where I don't normally don't go, I tell my credit card company, Hey, I'm going on vacation. This is where I'm going. If when I when you start seeing charges coming from Las Vegas or the Bermuda or wherever I'm going, wherever it is I'm going, that's me. Don't worry about it. Please don't cut off my card. Um, and you can actually actually in most cases you can do this online. If you log into your online account, there's you can find a little travel link on there and and you can inform them of your travel. Give them your travel dates and where you're going. But they're really cracking down on these things. So they've got all sorts of software that's looking at all your purchases and looking for anything that's out of the ordinary. Uh, and trying to cut that down. So credit card fraud, we all, you know, I think we're conditioned to believe that that is something that is that is really bad and that we really have to be careful of and it's a really horrible thing. But in reality, for you, the person who owns the card, it's really not that big of a deal because generally speaking, you're not out the money when something goes wrong. Now, let me draw a distinction though between credit card fraud and debit card fraud. So, and this is why I use a credit card for as many purchases as I can. I know some people, my mother's, my mother is one of them who, for whatever reason, just don't like the idea of credit. They like, they like knowing that the money is immediately transacted, that it comes straight out of their checking account. And there's, there's none of this buffer, you know, 30 days grace period and bills. And they don't like the fact that it's sort of a loan. So for whatever reason, they just kind of feel that the credit card makes more sense because it's kind of like writing a check, right? It's kind of like writing a check with a card. Um, but the problem with debit cards is that they look and work just like credit cards. And if somebody gets your debit card number, the problem there is when they take that money and buy something with it, that money is actually gone from your account. It pulls directly from your account. This is not a 30 day loan that you can, you've got time to come back to the credit card company and say, Hey, wait a minute. That wasn't me. So, you know, I challenge these, challenge these things and someone has my card. So yeah, cut out my old one, send me a new one, but you didn't have to pay anything. 
with a debit card, they've actually taken that money from your account. Now, not only do you have to convince them that it wasn't you who did that or that you weren't somehow liable for it because you were you weren't good about keeping track of your card, you actually have to convince them to give you your money back. And they may or may not get it back from the people who actually used your card, so they've got to pay you and pay and and, and sort of pay them, right? So Use credit cards before you use debit cards. That's my advice there. All right, let's talk about one more thing um, in this this arena of, of threats that are out there today. Uh, and that's identity theft. And we've talked about that. I talked about that a little bit at the beginning of the show. And this is really probably, personally, I think, one of the worst things that we need to be actually worried about today for a lot of reasons. So identity theft basically is somebody has managed to learn enough about you, you know, perhaps your social security number and your birthday, uh, your mother's maiden name, uh, maybe they took control of one of your you know, password recovery email accounts. Let's 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 face it. When you when you when you sign up with passwords online, how do you change your password or recover your password? If you forget it, you give them an email address and they send you a link at that email address, and and then you reset your password. Well, if someone has control of your email account and they happen to know what your bank login is, why not go to the bank and say, "Ooh, hey, I forgot my password. Uh, could you send me a link to reset it?" Now they have that link because they're in your email and they can reset the password to something that they know. And now you don't know the password to your bank and they do. So that's why we have to be careful about with our email accounts. Identity theft is somebody getting enough information about you to pretend to be you to somebody else. So they can get credit in your name. They can open credit cards or loans in your name. They can access your bank accounts and just drain your money. Um, and they can run up quite a tab. And the problem is, is that is associated with your name and your credit history. You know, there are mechanisms for you to go through the credit bureaus to say, hey, this was wrong. This was not me. I had, uh, you know, someone stole my identity. But they really don't work very well right now. I've known people that have gone through this and are still dealing with it years later. And it just, it, you can't quite expunge this stain from your credit history when you're, when someone steals your identity. So that's why we come back to the privacy aspect that I was mentioning earlier, why it's so important that we protect our privacy and that we don't give away too much information to just anybody. So on your social media accounts, you really need to kind of lock that down and not, first of all, don't overshare. There are things that people just don't need to know. For instance, don't tell people on Facebook, Oh, I can't wait for my next two week trip to the Bahamas because that if somebody knows where you live, they now know that your house is vacant for two weeks. Um, you know, like I said, with the security questions, when you, when you forget your password, there's still a lot of sites that say, okay, let's ask you three questions. And if you can answer these three questions, then we can reset your password. Where'd you go to high school? What was your high school mascot? What was your mother's maiden name? What's your father's middle name? What's uh, the, what was your first dog? What was your first car? The people, I, the people I know on Facebook share that kind of random information all the time. So if I can get access to your Facebook account, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, and, and, and you're taking pictures of your car, which might have your license plate, might have the year and make and model, 
uh, you know, you might have some historical pictures of, wow, check out my first car. That was so long ago, but I really miss my Plymouth Champ, which, by the way, was my first car. So this information we 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 give out without thinking about it. And the more information that is available out there, and once it's on the internet, it's forever. I don't care if they say that you can delete it. I don't care if you think you can go into your account and remove that information after the fact. If it's out there and it's public, something has grabbed a hold of that and could be saving it for literally ever. So in some senses, the cat's out of the bag, but I'm here. I'm, I'm telling you that we need to be careful of how much we share because identity theft really sucks. So be careful how much information you're giving away. And on your social media accounts, make sure you're locking those things down. And we will talk about these things in the coming weeks, and I will give you specific advice. So anyway, that's just kind of a little roundup there of, you know, some of the bigger security risks. There are others. Uh, my book, I talk about others. Uh, and we will certainly in the coming weeks talk about others. But I just kind of want to give you an idea of how I'm going to approach these topics and how I want to explain to you, you know, what these things really mean to you, what the real implications are. Okay, so how do we think about computer security? I, your eyes are already glazing over <laughs> and you're probably already getting ready to skip ahead or something, right? Stop. Just let me let me convince you. So here's where we can use some analogies to our benefit. And this will bring me to why I called my book Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. So come with me on a little bit of an imagination journey. Congratulations, sir or madam. Your king, in his infinite wisdom and generosity, has granted you a large tract of land. Q Monty Python reference. And some coffers, some gold, some treasury for you to build up said land, to create some tax revenue for the king, and provide some security for him and armies and whatnot. Okay, so now you've got the land and you've got the money. What do you do? You've got to protect this land somehow. These are resources. There's people, there's gold, there's rivers and roads and forests and resources and things. What are you going to do? So in security, computer security in particular, we call this a threat analysis. And we're going to walk through this because this is the same kind of thinking that you need to do. And frankly, I will help you do as we go through the weeks. But this is the kind of thinking you need to go through when you're determining, where do I make these trade-offs? Security is always trade-offs. You, you have to figure out how much you want to spend in certain areas, and you've got to pick some areas where you're not going to spend time and money. So we have to go through threat analysis. Let's, let's talk about this a little bit. So the first question you have to ask yourself is, what exactly are you trying to protect? What is it that's valuable to you? What is it that, that you need to secure? So in our little analogy here of a lord with his new uh, tracts of land and, and people and peasants or <laughs> whatever you have in your area, you've got people. You've got to protect the people. Um, in particular, I'm sure you want to at least protect your family and those closest to you. But, you know, the people are your taxpayers. You've got to protect them, too. They're the people that are farming your land and cutting your forests and mining your ore. They're important. You know, they're, they're, you've got to protect them, too. Uh, you've certainly got property, right? You've got your gold that the that, that you're granted in your treasury. You've got whatever your possessions are. You want to protect those. So those are physical things. 
as I said, you've got resources. You've got farmland and cattles and quarries and forests and rivers and whatever the case may be. You've got you've got some resources that that you will get benefit from. That if someone takes them from you or poisons them or somehow deprives you of them, will be a hit to your your little lorddom, lordship, whatever. <laughs> Whatever the term is, I read fantasy books all the time. You'd think that term would be right at the top of my tip of my tongue, but it's but <laughs> it's eluding me at the moment. Okay, so you've, you've you've got your area, you've got your tracts of lands, and you've got your resources. You want to protect those. You've got people. Uh, you may have information you want to protect because you've got uh, documents or whatever that might have information that could be used against you or used to get some of these uh, these other things that you're trying to protect. Okay, so that that's kind of you, you go through the analysis, you think what you know what is it I have to protect? And then okay, now let's take step back from the analogy for a little bit. Let's talk about you. What do you have that you need to protect? You've got files on your computer. These could be family photos, they could be home videos, they could be your music collection, they could be documents, tax documents. Um uh, things like that 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 are on your computer that if you don't take proper steps could be made available to some nefarious person. Um so you, these are the kind of things you can do, you think about like in terms of what is it you're trying to protect. The next question you need to ask yourself is this. What are the consequences of failure? So you, you might think of this in, in what I would call binary terms. I'm a software engineer. I would, I would use that term. But, it, you know, black and white terms, you know, you have it or you don't. Well, it's not, that's not always the case. What if it's, you know, something is damaged but not stolen? What if something is partially taken or something happens to something that I just need to rebuild. I didn't lose it, but now I've got to pay money and spend time to, 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 to build it back up. Um, what are the real consequences of failure? It's important to understand that concept because that will help you determine how important something is or how much you need to spend on, on, on protecting it. If it's something that you absolutely cannot replace a human life, um, family photos, um, things that you don't have other, other copies of so that if, that if you lose these things, they're gone forever. Those are really important things. Uh, things that are maybe your music library, well, you know, if somehow someone stole or corrupted all of your MP3 files, you could theoretically go buy them all back. They're not, they're replaceable. So what are the consequences of failure? Now, the next question you need to think about who exactly are you protecting these things from? Who are the bad guys? Um, what are their motivations? Do they Are they just doing it for money? In a lot of cases, that's the case. The bad guys are just trying to take something you have or ransom something you have or whatever the case may be so that they can make money. At the end of the day, money makes the world go around. That's, what a lot, that's, that's what's behind a lot of the motivations. But there are other motivations. Maybe you're a famous person. Maybe someone, you know, an ex or... Or someone is mad at you and wants to take revenge on you for something, and they don't really care about the monetary gain. They just want to see you suffer. What are their motivations? Who who is likely to be out to get you, and why? Uh, furthermore, what are their what are their capabilities? Um, do they have a lot of money? Do they have a lot of resources? Do they know a lot of people? Do they have hacking skills? Um, you know, in the old days, do they have a lot of swords and armies? And um, do they have horses? Do they have weapons? What are, what are their capabilities? How well-funded are they? Um, how earnest are they? Is it a passing thing, or is it are they determined? So you need to kind of think about about those things. So in the old days, what would they do? What, what, what would you do in this case? Well, the classic 
The classic example, of course, is a castle. Now, you can't, you know, you can't build a wall, a 75-foot wall around your entire lord area, <laughs> whatever, whatever we're calling that. That's too expensive, and it, you know, it's kind of ineffective. So, you know, you've got an army that kind of roams around your farmland and your whatever and, and the exterior areas to kind of keep the peace and look for bad guys. But you keep the, you keep the really precious stuff back, back in the big city. Uh, so you put a big wall or maybe a couple walls uh, around the city. And then the really, really important stuff, and that would be you and your gold, more than likely, if, if you're a lord or a lady, you build the castle. And so the castle's where you stay. And the castle's a really good place to be. If you, <laughs> That's where the most security is because you're protecting the things you find most important, yourself and your family. So, and your gold. There's this concept in security called defense in depth. And what that means is you don't just have one defense. You just don't throw up a wall around your city and call it done. What if your invaders have ladders? <laughs> they can just go over the fence. Now you're, now, now you're screwed. So you need to have different kinds of defenses because putting all your eggs in one security basket is never a good idea. So what did they do back in the old days? Let's so think about this a little bit. Definitely had walls. They had walls all around. They were more than just walls. They, a lot of those walls had guard towers. So in every so often along the wall, there would be some guards, and those guards had bows and arrows or whatever the case may be to try to prevent people from scaling the walls with ladders. Uh, you have to be able to get an in and out, of course. So they've got um, gates, and those gates have these big, nasty iron things they call a portcullis, and they've got drawbridges. And oh, the drawbridges, what's, what's the drawbridge go over? That goes over a moat. That's another common thing they used to have. So now you don't just need a ladder. you got to be able to swim across some water with a ladder and then put the ladder up and then you've got to evade the arrows. So you can see that we're kind of layering on these defenses and that is a very important concept in security. So you need to have defense in depth. You, you can't just have a single point of failure and you can't just have a single type of defense. The best defenses are where you've got multiple kinds of defenses to keep them guessing, to keep them having to do more than one thing to get past these defenses to the important things that you're trying to protect. Now, let's take also a difference between your guards and your and, and your walls and your moats and things. The the walls and the moats, these are passive things. These are things that you build up once. You gotta, you know, I suppose I suppose you need to maintain them, but you set them up once and then they kind of stay there. Um, and, but then you've got your guard your your army or whatever the case may be and and this is an active defense these are people with that are thinking that are watching that are listening that are paying attention to things that are going on like for instance you have to have commerce you've got people coming in and out of your city so you've got to let people through the front gate but the guards are there to check people's papers to say oh i know this guy or no i don't know this guy who do i let in who do i not let in um how do I recognize suspicious behavior? If I've got some people coming in with some cloaks on that look like they might have a bunch of armor on underneath, I'm going to be suspicious of that. So these are active defenses. In today's world, you might think of that as maybe antivirus software. This is software that's not just looking for known things. It's looking for patterns and behaviors and, and things to recognize. So looking back at all this, we can kind of see that the security that, that we kind of think of in fantasy novels and you know, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, some of these movies that we're familiar with really has a point. And it's something that we can, that we learn from today. And we use these same kind of principles today. And when we think about our computer security, 
we need to have more than one defense. We have an antivirus software. We've got a router with a built-in firewall. We might have two different firewalls, uh, one on the computer, one on uh, our router. And don't worry if you don't know what that word means. We'll probably cover that at some point. Um, but the point is it's not all one thing. And then, of course, there's your particular security practices. You try not to click on links that you don't know where they came from. You try not to uh, respond to emails that look too good to be true. The Saudi prince who once, or whoever was the the prince who wants to launder some money through you. Uh, we've learned over the years that some, that what these practices are, but there's, they're getting really good out there. So, you know, we all kind of had to be tuned to ourselves what what these risks are and, uh, and learn. Now, now we get to the teaser. Now we get to the why firewalls don't stop dragons. What do you do about dragons? So you've tried to protect against petty thieves, protects, you know, perhaps, uh, invading armies, uh, regular humans with varying resources and skills that might want to get through your defenses and, and do you harm or take your money or whatever the case may be. But what do you do about dragons? First of all, let's say you even believe that dragons exist. You've never seen one. Uh, you've heard people from far off land saying that they're real. You don't know that they're real. But, you know, you get the basic idea that you've got this large flying lizard that can breathe fire who happens to like gold, of which you have some that he might want, gold and jewels. What do you do to protect yourself against a dragon? Well, let's face it. There's really not a lot you can do. You can't really, what are you, you going to, they fly. You can't build a wall high enough unless you build a dome. That's not, <laughs> that's not terribly practical over an entire city. Um, it, nevertheless, even a dome was, is, may not be dragon fireproof. Um, you know, how how can you possibly protect yourself against a dragon? And the answer is you don't. And that comes back to my original point is that you can't protect against everything. You've got to make choices. You've got to make trade-offs. So you would go bankrupt. And frankly, your people would think you'd gone insane if you really tried to do whatever it would take to protect against a dragon, whether they're real or not. It's it, You just kind of have to say, you know what? Let's try not to get on the dragon's radar. Let, let's try to fly below his radar and just not get noticed, and maybe he'll go after the other town. And honestly, the analogy here that I want to make, and this is the whole point of the book, the title of my book, and what I want to bring finally full circle here, is if the NSA or the CIA or the Russian mob or whoever it may be, if some well-funded, highly skilled, very determined bad actor wants to get at you specifically, you're pretty well screwed. Let's face it. You can't really, these guys just have too much, too many resources that you're, you're outgunned in, in, in many ways, both literally and figuratively. So my point with the book and my point with this podcast is that don't spend time and effort and money trying to protect yourself against being specifically targeted against the NSA. Now there are certain people out there that do they're whistleblowers or, you know, whatever the case may be, there's a few select people on this planet that have chosen to take on that dragon and try to win and try to win. Let them do that for us. Regular people, you really, there's no point in going that uh, in going to that expense and going to that effort because it's almost impossible. What you want to do, however, and this is the key difference, is there's there's targeted surveillance, there's there's targeted attacks, and then there's mass surveillance in sort of general 
widespread, um, indiscriminate hacking attacks. It's the latter category where you can do all sorts of things to, to, to not get noticed, to not show up as weak, to not be a victim of, of some of these things. You don't want to be the fast. You don't need to be the fastest antelope. You just can't be the slowest. When the lion comes around, you're, uh, you, you, you need to be the, uh, faster than your neighbor. You need to have a house that looks more secure than your neighbor's house so that when the burglar comes around, they don't go for you. And that's really the key for the, the, the kind of security, the, the level of protection and privacy and things that I'm going to be advocating to you in this podcast is to get yourself to the point where you're not an easy target, where you're not going to be subject to the mass surveillance, um, where you're not easy prey. And there you have it, folks, our very first podcast of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I want to thank you very much for tuning in and giving me a chance to convince you to tune in again next week and stay with me on this journey. We're going to learn some really interesting things. I'm going to help you sort out what you need to worry about from the things that you don't. Uh, and I want to answer your questions. Again, we are partners in this. So please, please send me your emails. Um, I will do my best to incorporate them into the show. Uh, I'd like to know the topics that you're most interested in, the things that are vexing, the things that are worrying you, um, the things that you want to know, is this for real or not? Do I, how much do I have to do? What can I do to protect myself? All those sorts of things. Send me your emails at Parker at americaoutloud.com. Of course, you can get that off the website. And please, of course, check out my book, also called Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. You can buy that on Amazon. Uh, if you go to my website, firewallsdontstopdragons.com, uh, you can see my blog, which I post every so often. You can also sign up for my weekly newsletter. Um, it's very short, very to the point. I try to make it very practical. Um, it uh, also comes with my top five free security tips. Uh, I don't give your email address out to anybody else. That's kind of my, kind of my thing. You know, I'm a privacy nut, so I'm not going to get you on a whole bunch of other crap email lists. Uh, sign up and you will get a quality tip and a short, uh, short and sweet post uh, once a week. And tune in again next week. We've got a great guest for you, and I will start answering your questions. Thanks, and take care. See you next week.